I remember the, uh, the very first time I had an opportunity to preach a sermon. I was a, I was a young pastor, about 23 years old, and uh, I was at my former church, which uh, at the time was Salem Baptist Church in New Brighton. Uh, today it's Grace Point Church. My younger brother, Jared, is actually the senior pastor there at Grace Point Church. But uh, I, I served there at uh, Grace Point for about nine years before coming here to Lakes Free. And uh, my first uh, role in ministry was as the youth pastor there at Grace Point. And um, the, the senior pastor one summer came to me and said, hey, Jason, I'd like you to preach for the entire church. And uh, now I was all excited because this was going to be my first official sermon. And so, you know, as a young pastor, I like, I mean, I poured hours of preparation time into that message. I began planning weeks ahead, you know, studying the text and putting my notes together. And, and then the week of the sermon came and I mean, I must've spent about 40 hours just working on my message, you know, refining my notes, building my illustrations, practicing the message. Well, the day it came to, to deliver the sermon and uh, it went great. You know, I preached both services and I just felt like, man, you know, things turned out terrific. All my preparation paid off. I, I felt really positive about my message. And, uh, and I was greeting people at the back door as, uh, as people were leaving the sanctuary. And as I was shaking hands with people, uh, one woman came walking up and she had been a longtime member of this church, uh, just a real influential person there at the church. And, uh, and she walked up to me and in sort of a, a sarcastic tone, whispered to me, well, it wasn't the worst sermon I've ever heard. Now, I tell you, I mean, we can laugh about that today, but at the time, at the time, those words totally deflated me. I mean, you know, I had been excited to preach. I had worked hard to, to preach as faithfully as I could. And when she said that, it just, it just cut me to my soul. And those words have stuck with, with me since that day. Here I am like 20 years later. You know what I think about every week when I'm planning my messages? I hear those words. Well, is it going to be not your best sermon ever? Not the worst sermon I've ever heard? They've stuck with me. See, it, it's an example of the power of the tongue. And the power of our words. And our words have the ability to speak life into people's lives, to, to speak hope and encouragement. But our words also have the very serious potential to do a lot of damage. And so this morning in our passage, James chapter 3, James is going to deal with this topic of the tongue. And he's going to highlight for us the, the very serious danger that comes from an untamed tongue. And I think this is something that all of us wrestle with. Uh, this is something that, uh, like we talked about early on in our series, James is a very practical book. And I'd be surprised if there's anybody here this morning who would say, I don't have ongoing growth to work on in the area of the tongue. And so we're going to look at this important passage and this important topic this morning. You know, the tongue is really an interesting feature in our body. Uh, the tongue is a muscle. Did you know that? Your tongue is a muscle. And it weighs about two ounces, and it's only four inches long. But this tiny little muscle has so much potential, and it has immeasurable power. I mean, when you think about the, the capabilities and the power in our tongue. You know, with our tongues, we can chew, and we can taste, we can swallow, we can form words. We can use our tongues to bless others through instruction or direction or encouragement. But at the same time, we can also use our tongue to deceive 
and destroy and devour. When you think of some of the sins of the tongue, sins like gossip, innuendo, lying, cursing, demeaning others. You know, all of these sins reveal the tongue's great potential for evil. It's something that we need to take very seriously. There's no other muscle in your body, friends, that is so small yet can make such an incredible impact for both good or for bad. I remember when I was in high school, I took an advanced biology class my senior year of high school. And one of the things we did that semester in advanced biology was we dissected a cow tongue. Now, I actually thought about bringing in a big cow tongue this morning as a visual aid, but then my, my judgment, you know, better judgment took over and I decided I'd spare you that. But, but uh, we spent the semester dissecting these big old cow tongues. And, and I'll tell you, it was really a fascinating project as our teacher began to walk us through each day, you know, the dissection of the tongue and by layer by layer, tell us all about the different capabilities of the tongue and the, the various ways that it works. And, and it was fascinating going through that dissection. And in the same way this morning, in our passage today, James is going to dissect for us the human tongue. He's going to reveal to us its nature and its capabilities And here's why this is so important for us this morning. Because our speech, the way we use our tongue, our language, these things are primary indicators of an authentic faith. How you use your tongue says a lot about your faith. If you remember back in the first week of our series, James chapter 1, verse 26, James says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. I mean, those are tough words. Those are gut check kind of words. Right? And so, so this question of the tongue, this is serious business. And, and so our goal this morning is that we would come and look at our text and that God might use this text to give us a better understanding of our tongues. And, and our ultimate hope in this is that we might grow more in conformity with Christ, that our speech and our language would reflect Christ. We, we want our tongues to represent Christ to the world. We want our tongues to speak in ways that bring honor and glory to Christ. And so this is really the goal of our message this morning. James in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, is going to reveal to us the nature of the tongue. So so we're going to spend some time this morning going to the tongue doctor. Did you guys know James was a tongue doctor? He was. He wasn't just the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's a tongue doctor. So we're going to go get an examination And James is going to tell us a lot about our tongues this morning. Let's take a look at this passage together. If you have your Bibles, it's in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, or you can follow along on the screen with me. James says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. 
The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And this is a powerful passage full of just some incredible imagery. I mean, it almost feels like a, pas- a cheating as a pastor preaching on this passage because James gives you all the illustrations right here. But James gives us this, this very powerful teaching on the nature of the tongue. What I want to do is I want to I break down these various sections and show how James reveals to us the nature and capabilities of the tongue. Number one, we start out with the power of the tongue. James, in his examination, goes on to tell us about the power of the tongue. And he begins this section with a word of warning for would-be preachers. James says in verse 1, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. James has a word of caution for anyone who would preach the word of God or teach the word of God. He says that person is going to be judged more strictly. Every spring, I have the opportunity to teach over in Oregon at a Bible college. It's called Ecola Bible College. It's a two-year prep school for, for young men and women who are going into the ministry. And uh, this past year, I met this young couple in their early 20s who were uh, going to the Bible school together and preparing for ministry. And uh, it was very interesting as I got to know this young couple. Uh, the young man had, uh, the last couple of years, had been working some incredible jobs. In fact, he had been working two of the most dangerous jobs you can do. Last summer, he spent the summer logging trees up in the mountains of Oregon. He was one of those guys, he would put on the spikes, you know, and he'd climb like 100 feet up in these trees and and saw the tops off of these trees. It's one of the most dangerous occupations in the world. And, And then this summer, his plan after school was to go up to Alaska and work on a crab fishing boat, like on the show Deadliest Catch, right? So this kid now, he's a newlywed, and he's doing two of the most dangerous jobs in the world. I said to his wife, I said, what are you doing letting your husband do this kind of stuff? You know? And then I said to him, and now look what you're doing. Now you're training to be a pastor. I mean, as if being a lumberjack and a crab fisherman wasn't tough enough. James says, now you're working the toughest job of all, the most dangerous job of all. You're training to go into ministry. See, James says it's very serious business to preach the word of God. It's a, and I'll tell you something. It's the greatest calling in the world. Friends, understand that there's no greater calling in the world than to preach God's word or to be a teacher of God's word. And, and there might be some young people here this morning who maybe are even thinking about a future in the ministry or are feeling God's leading or calling in their lives to go into ministry in some way as a teacher, a missionary, a pastor, a preacher, whatever it might be. And if that's a calling that God's put on your heart, let me tell you, there's no better calling in the world than to serve the Lord in ministry. But you need to understand something, friends. While it's a high calling, it's a very serious calling. 
Because God's word says that those who teach scripture will be judged more severely. And why is that? It's because those who are teachers of God's word have the potential to lead people into the truth. To speak words of life and hope rooted in God's word and in the gospel. But those same teachers also have the potential to do very serious damage by leading people astray into error and heresy and false teachings and false gospels. And James says that God is going to judge those people more strictly. I remember last summer when I was under consideration for the senior pastor role here at Lakes Free, one of the things I did over the course of last summer is I spent a lot of time in prayer. You can talk to Pastor Rick. I had lots of conversations with Pastor Rick just wrestling with the weightiness of this calling. Because while it's a great calling, it's also a very significant calling to stand before a church and preach God's word every week. And I prayed hard about that. Friends, let me encourage you this morning. Pray for us. Pray for your pastors here. We need your prayers. Pray that we would stay faithfully grounded in God's word. Pray that God would give us wisdom to communicate his truth faithfully and effectively, that we would never stray from the truths of scripture. We need your prayers for me, Pastor Ken, Pastor Stephen, Pastor Justin. Pray for our lay teachers who are teaching each week in our adult Bible fellowship groups. They need your prayers. But this is a serious calling to preach the word of God. Now, James goes on in verse 2 to remind us that the power of the tongue is not just something that preachers need to be conscious of, but the power inherent in the tongue should really be of universal concern. It's of concern to all of us. Let me read verse 2 for us once again. James says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. Now, friends, James isn't describing someone who's attained sinless perfection here. The the word perfect that James uses here is actually the same word that he used back in James chapter 1, verse 4, where he talked about our trials and how perseverance leads to maturity and completeness. That's what James is talking about here when he says perfect. He's talking about maturing in our faith, growing in our faith. He's basically saying, look, if you find someone who's generally in control of their tongue, you found a person who's experienced maturity in their faith, and they're probably also someone who has control over the rest of their body as well. If you can control your tongue, you can control the rest of your body as well. So James is speaking about maturity here. Now, friends, if you want evidence that you're growing in your faith, right? How do I know if I'm growing my faith? Well, James tells us, stop and listen to your tongue, right? That's going to be one of the primary indicators. What do you say? What is your language like? What's the speech and the tone and the attitude and the words that come out of your tongue? And if you find maturity there, you'll likely see it in the rest of your life as well. The tongue is a a spiritual barometer for our whole lives. But as we all know, mastering the tongue is no easy task. And James knows this too. And so if we're going to experience maturity in this area of our lives, we need to first understand what we're dealing with. And so like a good doctor, James begins to diagnose us, his patients, and he goes on to reveal the dilemma we're facing with the tongue. And in verses 3 through 5, James begins his diagnosis of the tongue by vividly describing for us the power of the tongue. And he uses two really interesting illustrations here. 
He says, first of all, the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. Have you, have you ever ridden a horse, friends? It's very interesting. If, if a horse is bridled and they have the bit in their mouth, this little four or five inch long piece of metal, you can direct and guide that horse anywhere you want to go. I, I'm always fascinated every summer when I go up to Camp Chaminade, dropping off my kids at camp or speaking up there, right? It's, it always fascinates me. I go to the horse camp and I watch these little 10-year-old girls. They get up and they mount these thousand pound animals. And these little 10-year-old girls, they go and they ride these huge horses and they lead them around and they guide them, and they direct them wherever they wanted to go. And it's all because this tiny little bit in the horse's mouth. James says, this is like the tongue. It's small, but it's very powerful. He then gives a second illustration. He says, the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. He says, though the ship is blown by the sea and tossed by the storms, it's directed by a small rudder that the pilot controls. And because of this tiny rudder, it can go anywhere the pilot wants it to go. One of the largest ships on the ocean today One of the largest ships in the United States Navy is the USS Eisenhower. This massive aircraft carrier. This is an incredible ship. It's very interesting. 91,000 tons, over 1,100 feet long, a 280,000 horsepower nuclear engine. It's able to carry 6,000 men and women and over 100 aircraft. And yet this mammoth ship is directed by a rudder that's less than one-tenth of one percent of the ship's total weight. This massive ship is steered and directed by a rudder less than one percent of its total weight. And James says this is like the tongue. This is the power of the tongue. It's this tiny little muscle in our mouths that's less than one-half of one percent of your total body weight but it has the power to control your whole life. And this is why James says the tongue can make great boasts. Why can the tongue boast? It can boast because it's very small, but it has tremendous power. Now, having a tongue with this kind of power means that we all have this incredible potential within us for both good and bad to come from our tongue. And sadly, as James is going to show us in our next section, because of our sinful nature. Friends, every single one of us here are fallen and we are sinful. And because of that sinful nature, James goes on to tell us that we're prone to use our tongues in ways that often cause great harm. This leads me to point number two this morning. James, in his examination of the tongue, next reveals to us the danger of the tongue. Let me read for you verses five and six. James goes on, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now here, James really gets to the heart of the danger found in our tongue. He compares the tongue to a small fire that begins to burn out of control like a wildfire. Maybe you've seen on the news this summer the the images of the wildfires raging out west in Colorado and California. Devastating fires often starting as a small spark that go on to blaze out of control. And they cause massive devastation. Friends, do you know what the deadliest fire in the history of America was? 
the deadliest fire in the history of America. A lot of people would say maybe the Chicago fire. The deadliest fire in the history of America happened on October 1st, 1871 in Peshtigo, Wisconsin. A huge swath of northeastern Wisconsin was burned by this devastating fire. My mom and her family grew up in the town of Coleman, which is right next to Peshtigo. I remember as a kid hearing stories of the famous Peshtigo fire. It was a massive blaze that burned over 1,800 square miles, over a million acres, and over 1,500 people lost their lives. In their book, Firestorm at Peshtigo, authors Guess and Lutz describe what took place. The fire advanced through superheated flames of at least 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit on winds of 110 miles per hour or stronger. The diameter of the fire ranged from 1,000 to 10,000 feet. When a firestorm like this erupts in a forest, it's a blow-up. It's nature's nuclear explosion. And James says the tongue holds this same dangerous potential. Like a fire, the tongue can be both a blessing and a curse. You know, friends, when you think about it, when fire is under control, it can warm our bodies, it can cook our food, it can fuel the energy needed for civilization. But when a fire runs out of control, it can cause massive devastation. And the same is true with our tongues. How many marriages have been set ablaze by a careless word? How many friendships ravaged by the spark of a seemingly insignificant lie? How many churches have been left in ruins, charred by the flames of gossip and innuendo? Friends, don't doubt for a minute the dangers of the tongue. It may be small, but some of the most devastating wildfires start with just a tiny spark. Now, you'd think this illustration would be cautioning enough for us. But James knows that controlling the tongue is one of our greatest struggles. And so James goes on to provide yet another word of warning in his examination of the tongue. James thirdly reveals to us the untamable nature of the tongue. Let me read verses 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James says no man can tame the tongue. And here James uses almost a a humorous illustration in his warnings about the tongue. He describes how human beings have been able to tame and train all kinds of wild creatures. And yet we cannot tame the tongue. I remember years ago, my dad and brother and I, we were speaking over in Russia and uh, one of the things that fascinated me in Russia are the bears that you see walking around on the streets in Russia. Like, I'm not even kidding you. Like, you go to St. Petersburg or Moscow, you visit the famous tourist attractions, and there are people that literally have these big, giant pet black bears. They're walking around on the streets with them, carrying around on leashes. Like, I'm not kidding. And you can go, when you go to the museums, they're sitting outside the front doors of the museums, and for like five bucks, you can take your picture with one of these giant black bears, or you can hold a black bear cub. 
I remember I got my picture with this black bear cub on the bottom left, and I couldn't find my pictures. This was like 10, 20, 12 years ago. I couldn't find my pictures, but I got my picture with this black bear cub in front of the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. And I'm holding this little black bear cub, and this thing has fangs that are two inches long and claws that are like three, four inches long. And I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. And I asked this woman who had this black bear cub, I said, well, what do you do with this bear when you're not here taking pictures with tourists? And she says, oh, he just lives in my apartment with me. What? Like, I'm not kidding. You see these bears all over Russia. And James says we've been able to tame all kinds of animals. And you know, friends, I've been to the circus and I've seen lions jump through hoops of fire. I've been to SeaWorld and I've seen dolphins play catch with beach balls. I've even seen parrots over in Hawaii that can sing an entire song for you. James says we've been able to tame all kinds of animals and yet this tiny member of our bodies causes us so much trouble. James says no man can tame the tongue. We can't do it. No man can tame the tongue. He then goes on in verse 8 to call the tongue a restless evil full of deadly poison. I've been down to Central and South America on a few mission trips. One of the things I've been able to do at a few points is do some hiking through the rainforest. And when you walk through the jungles of Central and South America, occasionally you'll come across these beautiful, tiny little tree frogs. I mean, they're absolutely gorgeous, the intricacy, the, the, the beauty And these tiny, cute little tree frogs, you know, you just want to pick them up in your hand. But you know something? If you even brush up against them for a second, their skin is full of deadly poison. Venomous poison that will kill you. And James says, this is what we're dealing with when it comes to our tongues. Friends, how many lives have been destroyed by the venom of the tongue? How many of us here have felt its deadly sting? Now, this is our condition as diagnosed by James. We've got these pesky little tongues with immeasurable power, which have the capacity to be incredibly dangerous. And on top of that, they're wildly untamable by any man or woman. So friends, if you're paying attention here this morning, you got to realize we've got a major problem here. I mean, what are we going to do with these tongues? But what James is going to share with us next really illuminates the root of our problem with the tongue. James goes on, point number four, to to highlight the revealing capacity of the tongue. And in verses 9 through 12, James says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You know, throughout our series so far in the book of James, one of the key themes that we've seen is James's call for followers of Christ to live out their faith consistently. In other words, James has, has argued that a genuine faith is going to manifest itself in a life of action. Our lives are going to reflect the truth of what we claim to believe. And here in this final section of our passage today, James again deals with this issue of consistency. 
And the illustration, the example he shares here isn't pretty. In verse 10, James says, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. Friends, how many of us have come to church on a Sunday morning and sat here praising the Lord, stood here with our arms raised singing praises, and then just an hour later driving home, we're gossiping about our friend in our adult Bible fellowship group. How many of us have come to church and and worshiped God and sung his praises, and yet the next day at work, we're cursing a coworker behind his back. James says, with the same tongue, we praise our Father in heaven. And then we turn around and we curse those who are made in his very image. James says, brothers, sisters, this should not be. This shouldn't be this way. And friends, if this reality hits a little too close to home for you today, Okay, if this is your struggle, if, if, if inconsistency with your tongue is a challenge for you, you need to recognize that something is fundamentally wrong. Something is fundamentally wrong. And this is the point of James's illustration of the spring and the fruit. James wants us to realize that a product is always consistent with its source. Okay, water is always consistent with its source. Fruit is always consistent with its source. And it's the same with the tongue. The language we use, the words we say, whether we speak life or spew venom, all of this is an indicator of what's really going on in our hearts. And where did James get this idea? Well, like he has already throughout our series, James is borrowing this directly from the teachings of his brother, Jesus. Look what Jesus had to say about this in Luke chapter 6. Jesus says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Friends, Jesus says what's going on in your heart is going to manifest itself in your speech and in your language. Your speech, your tongue is a direct reflection of the things going on in your heart. And and so if you're giving yourself an honest self-assessment this morning and you're recognizing, like, look at, I do that very thing. I show up at church and I praise God for an hour in worship and then I'm going home and I'm yelling at my wife and kids or I'm treating my coworkers disrespectfully or I'm gossiping or slandering so-and-so, right? James says this shouldn't be. And and, and we need to check our hearts. God, what's going on inside of me that my language would be such a poor reflection of the faith that I claim to believe? I I told you guys at the beginning of the series, James is not easy. I mean, he's going to challenge us. And I think we all have some challenging to do in this area. See, if we're being honest with ourselves, I think a lot of us would have to say that our hearts are in pretty bad shape. We have work to do. So what are we to do about our tongues? That's the question. Now, here's the thing about this passage. If you notice, James doesn't give us any like practical guidance here, right? I mean, there's no like three steps. All right, now do this. There's no 12-step program for taming the tempestuous tongue. James, come on, what are we supposed to do? Well, I think James has given us some 
clues already in his letter, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, but first I want to share an illustration with you that helps explain this for us. You know, it's very interesting, the past three weeks, the whole world has been transfixed by the plight of 12 young boys trapped in a flooded cave in Thailand. Those 12 young boys spent 10 days in the darkness, trapped on a small ledge in a flooded cave two miles deep in the core of the earth. The ledge they were sitting on was so small that they couldn't all sit down at the same time. They had to take shifts throughout the day, some standing and some sitting to rest their legs. They hardly had any food with them, and they had two small flashlights that they had to use sparingly to save the batteries. And they were trapped in the darkness for 10 days. Lost, no hope, no way to save themselves. You see, they needed some outside source to rescue them. They needed somebody from the outside with greater power and greater capabilities and greater resources to come and dive into that darkness and pull them out of their desperate situation. They couldn't save themselves. One article I read this past week said that when the first diver found the boys, one of the young men literally leapt into his arms as if racing towards hope. What an image. Trapped in the darkness. Lost. Hungry, cold, wet. And all of a sudden, there's hope. And he races into the arms of that rescue diver. Friends, there's only one way to experience maturity when it comes to the tongue. You need to race to Jesus. You can't rescue yourself. And James in his book has already revealed to us the key to overcoming our tempestuous tongue. Number one, he says we need to recognize our desperate plight. In James 3 verse 8, we saw that today, James says, no man can tame the tongue. You can't do it yourself. Okay, if you're going to go home today and try harder approach, it's not going to work. Okay? You might be able to tame the tongue for an hour or a day, but eventually that pesky little tongue, that fire is going to start raging again. No man can tame the tongue. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And so number one, we need to recognize our desperate plight, but number two, then we need to accept the hope of the gospel. The gospel, friends, is the only thing that can rescue us from the evils of the tongue. James 1.18 tells us that through Jesus, God gives us birth into a whole new life. And he begins the process of transforming our corrupt and sinful natures. That's what the Bible talks about. It calls it sanctification. God takes our old sinful nature and begins an ongoing work of making us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And he can do that with your tongue. Pastor Justin this week was telling me in our staff meeting, we were talking about this message and Pastor Justin was saying how before he became a Christian, he really struggled with his tongue. He said he swore all the time. He was just mean and demeaning and rude. But he says when he gave his life over to Jesus, God did a miraculous work and totally transformed his tongue. Took away his desire, his interest in swearing. It it just was poor language just repulsed him. It was really incredible hearing his testimony of how God transformed his tongue. See, it wasn't his hard work that did that. It was the work of the Holy Spirit within him that did that. That's what the gospel does, friends. See, God is not content to leave you 
trapped in your fallen state, but he meets us in our fallenness. He rescues us in our darkness and he grabs us in his love and he leads us out into safety. And he does that process in our lives, transforming us from our old nature to a new nature, further and further conforming us into the likeness of Jesus. And you only get that experience when you race to Jesus. You can't do it on your own. You got to fall into his arms and let his power help you with that. We need to continue in the word, James says. James 1.25, a couple of weeks ago, James says, continue looking into God's perfect law that brings freedom and you will be blessed. See, friends, what you're feeding yourself with will ultimately manifest itself in your life. Okay, And if you're constantly feeding yourself with garbage, like, like garbage music that just speaks about ungodly stuff or you're watching TV shows and movies, if all that garbage is like your primary source of input in your life, well, of course that's going to manifest itself in your speech. Okay, So what do you do? You stay in the word of God. You stay rooted in the perfect law that brings freedom. And the more God's word begins to saturate your heart, the more that's going to manifest itself in the fruit of your life. That's just how it works. And then fourthly, James says that we need to engage the Lord daily in prayer. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Friends, do you need help taming the tongue? Then go to the Lord. And ask him for help. James says God gives it to anyone who asks. He gives generously. Lord, I need help with my tongue. I can't tame this thing on my own. Jason, what kind of prayer should I pray? Well, maybe pray a prayer like King David prayed in Psalm 141. King David, this is a great prayer to pray. What if you started every day with this prayer? Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. Are you struggling with your tongue, lying, gossip, slander, cursing, whatever it might be? What if every morning you woke up and this was your prayer? I guarantee you, you would begin to see the transformative power of the Holy Spirit taming your tongue. That's just what God does. He is not going to leave you lost and burdened in your sin. So race to Jesus. Trust in him. Rely on the hope of the gospel. Let his word grow deeply in your heart. Seek him daily in prayer, and you'll begin to see victory after victory over the tempestuous tongue. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this passage. And while it's challenging, Lord, it also reminds us of just how desperately we need you. Like so many other sins in our lives, we cannot tame the tongue on our own. And so, Lord, I just pray that this message today and the the example of the tongue might even serve as a greater, broader word of instruction or encouragement with whatever sin issue we may be dealing with. For some of us, it might be the tongue. For others of us, it might be other sin issues. And and, and the, the ultimate hope is the same for all of them. We need to race to Jesus the only source of salvation, the only source of hope for victory. And God, I pray that each one of us here would jump into your arms and rely on you each and every day for your transformative power in our lives. God, give us your grace, give us your spirit, and may we begin to see more and more victories. And God, I pray that 
as a people, as a church, that the people of Lakes Free would be a people known for speaking words that give life and hope and love to other people. God, I, I pray that this church and our people here, as we go out as your ambassadors this week, that, that people would see a difference in our lives and in our speech. And that they might recognize that that's a result of us drawing close to Jesus. God, help us honor you and serve you faithfully. And help us with our tongues, Lord. Help us to love one another, to bless one another. We need your grace for this, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.